dreams are a part of every single one of us. If you're like me, you don't remember your dreams very well. However, I'm talking about something a little bit more than that. I'm talking more about daydreaming. Dreams, you know, hopes and aspirations that we have. And I want to just read something to you from, this is a discipleship book. And after I read it, I want to speak to it very cautiously and humbly. But I do want us to see something that is going to help us, I believe, understand this concept of fruit that the good soil produces. Remember, there is seed that was cast on the path. There was seed cast on the rocky ground or the soil, seed cast on the thorny soil, and then seed cast on the good soil. And it was the good soil that did what? Produced 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit. So I want to preface my discussion this morning about this fruit with this. So follow me if you would. It begins this way. It's a personal testimony of a gentleman. I'm not going to share his name. He says, as a boy, I had many dreams. I was Elvis, Rocky Marciano. I was rich and famous, a great football player. Like many of the kids that I grew up with, I had aspirations for greatness. I didn't have a clue what it all, what it all meant, what it would cost me, or what the interpretation would be. But I dreamed and dreamed. From Superman capes to slick back, greasy hair and guitars, there wasn't anything that I didn't dream of becoming. Then came the dream killer. And he goes on, and I'm cutting this short. He goes on and he talks about grade school, and I believe it was in sixth grade, one of his teachers called him by name, and he says, you will never make it. I thought, what did he mean by that? It was like someone had tried to punch me in the nose and I was trying to dodge the blow. Never make it? Oh well. And he begins to unfold for us a life of viewing himself as a failure. And he concludes with this as he's in his 20s, actually 24, he became a Christian and he's working, uh, uh, I believe he is applying for a, a particular position in a business, and the manager trainee who is taking him through a litany of psychological tests says this, this upbeat man in his early 40s looked at me and said, calling me by name, you are not going to be with this company very long. I thought, what else is new? You'll never make it, came back to me. I answered him and said, that doesn't surprise me, but why do you say that? His answer changed my life and broke the chains, the words of my sixth grade teacher had spoken over me. He said these words, I've given this test to thousands of people around the country and you have made the highest score of anyone I've ever tested. The reason I said you won't last long with this company is that this company does not have enough to offer you. Then he said the words that changed my life for good. I don't know what you will end up doing, but ever, whatever it is, you will be successful. Let me just say this. I, as a pastor, encourage people to dream. Here is the dilemma I find myself in, even though this concept of pastors telling their churches, Dream, just dream. The problem that we confront immediately is that is never a challenge given in Scripture. It's not. And so because of this, I exercise caution 
because I know what I did as a young man dreaming. No, I didn't want to become Rocky Marciano. Frankly, I don't even know who Rocky Marciano is. Um, neither did I dream about one day being Elvis. Though when I was a young guy playing guitar and singing, I wanted one day to be a Christian rock star. Uh, and I saw myself in front of crowds as they were cheering and clapping, and, and I was singing, and while my dreams were a whole lot about me and not very much about Jesus. But I was able to really mask that well. After all, I was going to be a Christian rock star, right? So that made it okay. Well, obviously not. God had different plans for me. I am so grateful for that. So when I tell you to dream, I would encourage you to dream carefully. Because when we dream, and I'm not talking about the dreams when your head's on the pillow at night. I'm talking about the dreams you have during the day, aspirations. What we tend to do is we aspire to greatness. That is actually a phrase that's found in the first paragraph. Now, I'm not saying I fully understand what this gentleman is writing. I want to be careful in critiquing it. And so I'm simply going to say this. We must be careful about dreaming because our dreams many times are all about me. They're not about you, sorry. They're about me. We are all about seeking greatness because we realize that if we achieve greatness and if we do something great, that makes me great. Does it not? That is the way we think. We think about people's applause, people's praise, people's admiration, and these are the things of dreams that God wants to extract and pull out. So I'm going to say dream, but there is an art to dreaming in which we don the character of Christ and we dream his dreams. Acts 13 says, when David died, he had accomplished God's purposes in his generation. That is the stuff of dreams. God's aspirations, not mine. What God wants for Mike Curtis, not what I want. Because I know that if I allow my flesh, I will think of things that are not on his list. I just will do that. But to the point, I think he is trying to say that he was no longer a failure, but he was going to be a success. And that's where I want to go with this. What is success? No one woke up this morning wanting to be a failure. No one has dreams, and in their dreams, they totally fail, though sometimes. I, maybe we, we, we are filled with fears and we're afraid of failure and so we actually daydream about it and we daydream about being embarrassed, but that typically is not the case. It's, it's, it's us. It's us who's the star. It's us that people are applauding and saying, you are great. You are successful. And I want to be careful. That is not our goal the guy, the, as far as how the world understands success. Now, and, and, and this concept of success is so rooted and ingrained in the church today, and it's not God's view of success. It is totally the world's view of success. And I would venture to say that in large part, in large part, it has to do with generally those top 10 best-selling books 
that you see when you go into Barnes and Noble or wherever. Many of them are on leadership, aspiring to greatness. As if leadership is the pinnacle of who you are to be as a person. Now, I love reading books on leadership. I just realize I have to be careful, even with Christian authors, because they define success generally not completely in accord with God's word. So what is success? How you define success is going to help you understand this parable and especially this verse that I'm about to read to you right now. What is this fruit? Now, it doesn't say fruit if you're reading the NIV. It says crop. The Greek word here is karpos. It's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as fruit. It is not here. It's translated crop. But just understand, though you look down and it says crop, the word is fruit. And that is a very common word that's found in the New Testament that we are connected, John 15, to the vine and therefore produce fruit. What is this fruit? Let me read the verse to you. Matthew 13, 23. Now, I've read this passage twice to you so far over the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm, since I am preaching on the good soil and I've already preached on the pathway, the rocky ground, the, the thorny ground, it's now time to sink our teeth into this last one. One verse, verse 23, it says, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What is this fruit or crop? Is it successful ministry? Does 100-fold or 100 times mean, the like for example, the fruit of an evangelist ministry in which thousands or maybe millions have been saved? Is that the type of fruit that this passage is getting at? Because if that's the case, those who are more gifted, not so much in character, but in gifting, they're going to produce more fruit if we define fruit as successful ministry. I want to question that. Let's go back now to what, we, what I preached on several weeks ago concerning Jonah. Jonah was a disobedient prophet. God brought discipline into his life. Praise God, Jonah got a clue and he obeyed the Lord once he had been vomited out of the mouth of the big fish. Now that he was, had been soaking in a big fish's digestive juices for three days... He got a clue. He decided to obey the Lord. He went to Nineveh, and as he preached repentance, it says 120,000 people responded. And as you may remember, I mentioned this is perhaps the greatest revival that has ever hit a city in all of history, even in the New Testament. That is awesome. We would look at that and say, Jonah had a tremendously successful ministry. That was around 750 B.C., give or take you know, a few decades. We're not exactly sure, maybe 775 B.C. But let's now go back several hundred years to a man by the name of jo uh, Noah. 
Noah, according to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, was a preacher of righteousness. <laughs> In the context, it seems clear that he was a preacher of righteousness before the flood and not just after the flood. What that tells me is that while he was building the ark, people obviously wondering, dude, what are you doing building such a big boat? Do you have a big enough trailer to haul this to the ocean or the nearest river? Because it's not going to fit any lake around here, buddy. Yeah, I'm sure they had a lot of questions. And Jonah, excuse me, Noah apparently took that time to preach repentance for many, 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 many years. Not like Jonah, who took only a few days. Years and years of preaching to the people and calling them to repentance and following the one true God. And any, of course, that would repent and follow, they were welcomed aboard the ark. But who boarded the ark? Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law. Eight people were saved. What that tells me is that even though Noah was a preacher of righteousness, no one responded. Can I ask you a question? Was Noah's ministry successful? Now, based on our understanding of success at this point, it would seem or appear, no, it wasn't. Was there a problem with Noah? When Noah gets to heaven, will he receive any rewards? After all, he called people to repentance and no one responded. At least that was alive during the day of the flood. No one. Zero. We have this tendency to define success by our accomplishments. The fruit that we read about here, if we're not careful, we may misunderstand and equate it with successful ministry. But that is not what this means. That is not what this, this, this that is an improper definition of this fruit. Was Jonah successful and Noah a failure? We discovered that if there is anything that ever defined who Noah was, it was this. Noah walked with God. Noah obeyed everything the Lord commanded him. It's mentioned this uh, almost half a dozen times. You get a clue that Noah's ministry was successful because his ministry and all of our ministries all of our success is defined by this one word, and that is obedience. It's not defined by the fruit or the supposed success of our ministry. Who's responding? Did anybody come to Christ? Now, don't get me wrong. Obedience will mean, just like Jonah went, he obeyed and preached. Noah went and he preached. They obeyed. That's what makes us successful. And this, I'm going to suggest to us, this is the fruit of what Jesus is talking about. Obedience. Both Jonah and Noah were obedient. Now, I did mention, and I want to reiterate, 
Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And even though no one seemed to respond to his message because only eight were saved on the ark, Noah did do this. He cultivated well the hearts of his family. Did you hear me say that? He cultivated well the hearts of his family. His family impacted mankind after the flood. Noah was successful. He was obedient, and that meant constantly cultivating the soil of his children's hearts. Success, then, is not defined by the outcome. It is defined by our choices to obey. Not accomplishments. That's God's end. That's what God deals with, not us. You see, there's something inside of us, and we can be driven to accomplish something, to get something done, to to achieve a goal in, in which we might be recognized. We want to leave a legacy of a name for ourselves, the Tower of Babel. If you were go back to Genesis chapter 11, the, the issue in the very heart of the problem at the Tower of Babel was they built this tower to make a name for themselves. It is not coincidental that the very next chapter, Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, one of the seven blessings is, I will make your name great. Abraham's goal was not to make a name for himself. Neither should our goal be to make a name for ourselves. That is a death trap. It it consumes us with me, with selfish ambition. Our dreams need to have this extracted from them. Abraham did not have that aspiration. Abraham had one goal. To obey his God. That was it. And in that, God said to him, I will make your name great. That's that's God's business. For some of you, you are going to be platform people. You're going to be up front. And God is going to use you in leadership in that way. Some of you will do leadership behind the scenes. But whether you're up front or not, whether you're a leader or not, a servant that works behind the scenes, your goal, your definition of success, your aspirations should not fall in line with this type of fruitful ministry. Though we pray for the lost to get saved. Do we not, church? But that is in God's hands. We obey who I am. My value as a man has nothing to do with my accomplishments. Who you are, the value that God places on you has nothing to do with what you accomplish. Nothing. Your value cannot change. But can I ask you this? Do you want to be successful? Then simply obey. As we look now at this concept of fruit, I'm going to suggest to you that fruit does not mean fruitfulness of ministry that is an evangelist winning thousands or millions to the Lord. But every time he gets up to preach, he's being obedient. That is success. What do you say to a missionary who 
goes to the mission field, and if I'm remembering the name correctly, Adoniram Judson was one who went, I believe it was to Burma, and he sought to evangelize the Buddhists in Burma, and he was having zero success as far as how we might define success, people coming to Christ. No one came to the Lord. Years and years, he was in the process of translating the Bible into their language, and no one was coming to Christ. And then one day, a man shows up at his doorstep. He wants work. So Adoniram Judson gives him work, and in the process of working for him, finds out that this man is a murderer. <laughs> Woohoo! yeah. Adoniram begins to evangelize. And this man was not a Buddhist. He was, he was of a tribal religion, of the Karen. And this gentleman by the name of Kothan Bu is one to Christ. Kothan Bu begins to study the word. Adoniram Judson mentors him, disciples him. And I, I don't know the time frame. He's obviously baptized. And then he begins to preach to his people and church thousands tens of thousands came to Christ within a few short years a phenomenal explosion of the gospel and if you've ever picked up the book uh, eternity in their hearts and you read it you'll understand why because of what God had done in the Karain that I, I don't have time to explain it, but God had planted from their past the seed of the gospel. Amazing. And, and you, you realize this is the case in numerous cultures so that when they hear the gospel, it's like, this is what we've been waiting for. Where, where have you been all of these years? And, and thousands come to Christ. We call this a people movement. And when, when you talk about missions, a people movement into the kingdom, amazing, powerful. Adonai M. Judson won one man to the Lord. Was he successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess he won more than, uh, than Noah did. But the truth is, his ministry was successful, and he was able to win someone to the Lord. And God, in his providence that we don't understand all the time, God used Kothambu to win thousands to Christ. Do you realize that if it is certainly possible that a janitor of a high school may produce more fruit than a pastor who leads 25,000 people in his church. Absolutely possible. I'm not disparaging or discouraging any of you from pursuing full-time ministry. I'm just simply saying that is not what we are going to be judged by. It's not how we're going to receive our rewards when we get to heaven. The parable of the minas and the talents, what is rewarded is not accomplishment but responding to God's grace, which was obedience. Let me give you an example here. My wife is an extrovert. I am an introvert. My wife is far more inclined to talk to people than I am, especially when I'm tired. If I'm tired, I just, I'm like a bug on a wall. 
barely two words come out of my I'm just tired. And it's hard for me. For my wife, when she's around people, she's energized and she can talk to me. She's like the energizer bunny. And, and consequently, she may end up talking to a lot of people about Christ. And so she is, she's going to be inclined in that direction, whereas I may not. And it's, it may be harder for me. And so with the, with the grace that God has given to my wife, who's an extrovert, she seeks to walk in that grace, and she's a people person. And so she's going to test them. She's going to share her testimony. She's going to minister to people. She's going to share the gospel with people. And that may be harder for me. And my graces are, that God has given me are in different areas. And, and so consequently, we have each been given various graces, abilities and such from God, and we simply seek to walk in that, and we are not rewarded according to the accomplishments or what happens that is in God's realm. So again, a pastor of 25,000, he may receive very few rewards actually compared to a high school janitor who's so full of fruit, godly character and obedience that he is rewarded far more than such a man there is nowhere actually in scripture that uses the concept of fruit to refer to fruitful ministry even in first corinthians chapter three where you build with gold silver precious stones wood hay or stubble those are what we build with. They have nothing to do with our accomplishments. They are how we build. Do you build into people as a Christian with ungodly character? No, we root that out. Just as in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says in a house there are items of noble purposes and ignoble purposes. We remove the, those ignoble things in our lives that dishonor the Lord and we become a purified house, a purified vessel, ready for the master's use. I want you to turn with me, if you're in Matthew 13, just go to Matthew chapter 7. What will you be rewarded for in heaven? Jesus shares this. The very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he gives examples of people who prophesy and cast out demons and do miracles. And he's going to say, Depart from me, you workers of sin. I never knew you. I never had this relationship with you. Isn't that amazing? There are people in the church, and I don't think I'm overstating the case here, but I, I think there are many people that go to church every Sunday morning, and they do supposed great works for the kingdom of God, and they still do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I told you this story some time ago about one of my uh, theology professors at school, I went to a Christian school for a year and a half, and, and he gave his testimony is very simply this. He went to a well-known conservative seminary, got all the Bible knowledge. Um, when he graduated, 
began preaching at a church, and no sooner, his first year, did he become a pastor, but they asked him to preach revival services, and he began to preach, and in the course of his preaching, he extended an altar call, and guess who responded to his altar call? He did. He did. He, gave a, he became a Christian that night. Is that amazing? I mean, and, and yet, we, I think we would be foolish to say that the, the church, that, that Jesus' church is, is okay today when it's not. There, there are so many, and they will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, look what all I did. Look at my accomplishments. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, but only those who do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not trying to teach us that salvation is works-oriented. He is just telling us that a good tree produces good fruit. It, seeds sown on the good soil, the good soil represents the true believer. It's going to produce fruit, 30, 60, 100. It will produce fruit. The bottom line is doing God's will. How do we do this? I believe that God's desire for every single one of us is the 100-fold fruit or 100 times as much. I don't think he wants us to be content with 30, with 60. I think he wants us to aspire to 100. And again, it's not the evangelist who wins thousands and millions that somehow he has accomplished a hundred times as much. In, in fact, he may have accomplished only 30. Because we're, we're defining success differently here, right? It's not the results. It is our heart of obedience, doing the Father's will. You may be an introvert like me. Evangelism or ministry might be hard, but can I testify to that? That I personally have found the more I have fallen in love with Jesus, I've been filled with love for people. And since I was a teenager, I so battled this shyness. My mom was terrifyingly shy, and I inherited that personality from her. My dad was a 12th grade English teacher, and he just... He was outgoing. He got along with everybody. Uh, he loved telling stories, and people loved him as an English teacher. That wasn't me. I, as a teenager, I began to say, God, I, I feel like you're calling me to ministry, but I'm an introvert. How do you do this? How do I do this? And Jesus, through prophetic words, through the reading of a scripture, said, Mike, let me fill you up with my love. So here's what I'm going to suggest to you. If you're like me, you're an introvert. You can still produce a hundredfold of fruit. You can. That is still my aspiration. And that is I have found the more that I love Jesus and fall so deeply in love with him, I want to do his will more and more and more at any cost to myself. I, I, I'm not completely there. I'm still growing. But this is the key. So when we fall in love with Jesus and we're doing his will and the good seed falls on good soil and produces fruit, he will not say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity or sin, I never knew you. 
So how do we produce a hundredfold of fruit? Turn with me for a moment, if you would, to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, I have actually preached on this text, maybe even more than once, I'm not sure. And the verses before verses 8 and 9 that we're going to read talk about the building blocks of faith or, or technically relationship, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A phrase that we're going to find in verse 8 here. And add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. You know. And so these are the qualities. These are, if you will, the fruit that God is seeking to cultivate in your heart. But understand that God never, he never asks us, produce this fruit in your life and you're good. What did, what was Jesus' response? The, the expert in the law came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned it back on him, making him answer the question, what does the law say? Go back to Moses and what did he say? And so the expert in the law said, well, let's see now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo, you got it. You see, the more we love Jesus, the more we're going to love people. The more he builds character in our hearts because a good seed has been planted, the more we are going to produce good deeds. The more we're going to love people. So you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, strength, if I said that right. And then he empowers us to love people. So the character qualities that Jesus is building in you, they're going to overflow in your life and they're going to touch people. If they're not, there is a problem. I would venture to say that maybe, just maybe, that character that you think is being, that's being produced from your heart is not the true character of godliness, brotherly kindness, love, gentleness, humility. Because when Jesus produces that in our life, it overflows and impacts people. That is the nature of it. It's like when you knock down the first domino, it's going to hit the next and the next and the next. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. What he produces in you overflows and impacts other people. So, as we read then this passage, verses 8 and 9, he says this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, these qualities, these eight qualities that he just mentioned in verses 5 to 7. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone does not have them... That is, in increasing measure, if he does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. The question here that Peter is asking, and he doesn't ask the question, but he provides the answer to this question. The question is not, what if there's no fruit in my life? What if there is no character of Christ? And when I look at these faith, goodness, knowledge, etc., and I'm not finding any of this in my life, He's not addressing that question because the answer would be, you totally missed it. Then apparently the seed has not fallen on good soil, it's fallen on the pathway or, or, or maybe it's fallen on the rocky ground in which there's no room for root growth. The sun comes up, the, 
analogous to trials, struggles, hard times, and you fall away. Yeah, I'm not following the Lord. The question is not, am I producing any fruit or not? The question is really, have you stopped producing fruit? Now follow me here. If we don't produce fruit or good fruit, it's because the tree is not good. This is Jesus' teaching, okay? True, genuine faith produces fruit, godly character. It's going to do that in varying degrees. It's going to do that. So the question isn't, is there fruit, but is there any fruit right now? That's what Peter is trying to address. And he says... That you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. This person is a Christian. But the truth is, in our walk with Christ, you see, there are seasons in which we might stray. And in our straying, we produce no fruit. And he's saying, if this is your problem, I want to speak to that right here and right now. You may indeed be born again. But your life at this time in, your, in this season in your walk with Christ, it's not being evident. There's no fruit. What is it? And he says, number one, he says you are, obviously you're being ineffective and unproductive, but he says you are, number one, you're nearsighted. That means you can only see things up close. You can't look down the road. You, your, your focus is not on what lies ahead? Wow, how many times do we live that way? We engage in sin with absolutely no view of the consequences. Ah, just this one time. You know, it's, God's got to be okay with it. It's just one time. And the one time opens the door to another time and another time, and now it becomes a habit. But God wants us, as we're going through life, to realize that there are kind of look down the road and eventually down the road means standing before Christ and saying, hey, what kind of character have you produced in your life? Let me see. Let me see the talents. Let me see the minas, the two parables that Jesus gave them. What have you produced? And we can be blinded to that and we're only seeing what's right up front. We are nearsighted. He says, now you are blind. You don't even see what's right here in front of you. And then he concludes with, you have forgotten your past, your sins have been forgiven. So you can't see what's up ahead, and you're really not able to see what's right in front of you, that this is sin. That is what Jesus calls sin, but you have forgotten the past as well. And the past is that you have been forgiven of your sins. You see, as a Christian, this is a key for us to realize that through our life, Christ has died for your sins. He paid the incredibly high price. Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercies, what do we do? We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. My life, your life, is a living sacrifice. Why? Why do we live this sacrificial life, even though it may cost us so much? Because of what Christ has done for us. So can I, can I ask you, 
Are you in a season in your life in which you are bearing little to no fruit? Then may I recommend perhaps you have forgotten that your past sins have been forgiven. The incredible sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. Sometimes the weight of this sin upon our shoulders becomes so great and burdened and we feel shamed and this weight of guilt presses us down. The thought, we begin to entertain the thought, why should I sacrifice? Why should I give to the Lord? I'm unworthy to. And, And we set ourselves up for failure because of this load of guilt. I am unworthy. And we stagnate, and that becomes a pattern in our life. And I want to call to you this morning that if that is you, if you are living in that season of stagnation and you are not producing fruit, I call you, remember that Christ has forgiven you of your sins. All of the shame and the guilt, it's removed. Walk in Christ Walk in the power of Christ. Walk in the knowledge of the forgiveness of your sins. Let that empower you. Let it strip you of selfish ambition. Let it strip you of everything that is of the world and the desires that come from the world. And and may he purify you that you would be that vessel unto honor. But it all goes back to remembering you have been forgiven of your past sins. Washed clean. Free forgiven. What an awesome gift. What an empowering gift. And in the last remaining minutes, I want to speak to three things very quickly. Three things that will impact our productivity as being a part of the good soil. How do we produce this hundredfold of fruit? If you were to turn, and if you would please with me, to Luke chapter 8, we're going to find an answer here, at least the first answer. Three things quickly. And in Luke 8.18, he tells us, right after he shares in Luke, right after he shares the parable <coughs> excuse me, of the four soils, he says this in verse 18. Therefore, Luke 8, 18, therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has been given more, whoever, excuse me, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Consider carefully how you listen. You see, the difference in the good soil is that he listened, he retained the word, he persevered in the word, and he produced fruit as a result. How you listen is a reflection on the teachability of your heart. Do you want to grow? Do you want to produce a hundredfold of fruit? 
then I'm going to encourage you, be teachable. Let the Spirit of God bring gently correction. Let others bring correction. Let them help you grow, but be teachable. Because we have what's commonly called blind spots, things that are in our life that we don't see. If you have an issue with procrastination, you may start growing some and you plateau, but there's still procrastination in your life, and it, but it's a blind spot. You're, you're so much better at, at, at being productive than you were in the past, you can't see those areas that you are still procrastinating in. And it takes a gracious spouse, a friend, a coworker to bring gentle correction. And if you listen carefully... You will grow. Consider carefully how you listen, Jesus says. And I can remember in the space of 30 days, God did this to me, in which he sent, and I'm purposely wording it that way, God sent one of my closest friends and my youth pastor to have a talk with me. Being an insecure kid, I had known the Lord for two, maybe three years, really getting into the word. I had been filled with pride, and I felt like I had to prop up my image to other people and talk about me. And this close friend of mine and the pastor said, you know what, Mike? I like you. Let me read between the lines. But you're doing something that makes me not want to like you, okay? I, I wasn't stupid. I could read between the lines. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. You like me, but, but Mike, I think you really have a good heart and that you want to help people. So I'm tracking with them. Okay, okay. But there is an issue in your life that actually pushes people away. That was news to me. Really? And I had to make a choice right there. Was I going to get defensive? Was I going to push back? Was I going to start pointing out faults in their lives? Probably not a wise idea for me to do that with the youth pastor. But I could have done that with my close friend. Yeah, well, you're, you, what about you, huh? What about you? Don't we do that all the time? We give that kind of pushback, deflection. And, and it's an unteachable heart is what it is. And God just like, he shut my mouth both times. By his grace, he shut my mouth. I said nothing, and I usually did. And I said nothing, and I just listened, and I was careful how I listened. And by listening, God just penetrated my heart. And he said, Mike, there is a deep issue in your life. And it is keeping you from producing a hundredfold of fruit. So I'm going to tell you this. Key number one, be teachable. That's how we're going to produce. Not just 30 or 60, but hundredfold of fruit. Number two, when you plant, you obviously water and fertilize. Not talked about cultivating the ground, but here we are looking at watering and fertilizing. 
And I'm going to encourage you, do you want to grow in the Lord? I know of only one way in which you are going to constantly grow, and that is by seeking Jesus. And you must be intentional in this. It does not just happen. Growth never just happens. You never plant a seed, walk away, and expect it to grow and produce a lot of fruit. You got to do something to that seed. You got to help it and nurture it by watering, fertilizing, etc. And you're going to do that by getting into the word regularly, by praying, by allowing God to minister to you. And I realize that my time is nearly up, and I'm going to move on to this last one. And that is the purity of the soil. And this does have everything to do with cultivation. I have talked to you the last couple of weeks about how when you cultivate someone's soil, cultivating their heart, being a part of really God cultivating their heart, you are looking for the stones and the weeds and doing this. Now I'm going to have you reflect, what are the stones and the weeds that may still be in the soil of your heart? What are those things that are really keeping roots going deep in your life? What are those desires that are analogous to the, the thorny uh, weeds that are growing up and begin to choke out the nurture and the sustenance and the growth of that plant. What are these things in your life? We have got to be seeking God and saying, God, get this out of my heart. It's going to keep me from being productive. And I don't want to f- be in this season. And, and, and truly, for many in the church of Jesus Christ, this season lasts almost an entire lifetime in which they are in church and they remain unproductive. But that is not your heart. I believe that in your heart, you want to produce a hundredfold of fruit. So we pray and we ask God, remove these stones, remove these weeds in my life that are keeping me from growing and producing a hundredfold of fruit. This past Friday night, the young adults got together and... They began to share testimonies. Now, I listened. Actually, I came in on the very, I was watching Rusty, and I read three books to him, and I was exhausted. And I said, Rusty, let's go into the other room and listen to some testimonies. <laughs> and Rusty looked at the three books, and this is his favorite word. Again, again. You want me to read the books again? Yes, yes. Again, I said, I've got a great idea. How about if we just go into the other room? I'm trying to sell him on this idea. <laughs> go into the other room. That d- I was just so exhausted. Okay, <laughs> understand this. And we went into the other room, and we sat down, and Juliana was sharing her testimony. And she shared a testimony of how God needed to remove some stones from her soil. And in the course of this testimony, I'm doing my best to hold back my tears. And you see, my daughter had been through a very deep, deep betrayal in her past some years ago. Someone very close to her. And when she first found out, I was there, and she just wept, and she wept, and we wept with her. 
And she knew that in spite of the emotion that she was feeling, she needed to come to that place of true, genuine, complete forgiveness. And the emotions were saying no. But her knowledge of the Lord was saying yes. And God brought about some circumstances in her life even sometime after the matter when she had truly in her heart forgiven and basically was saying Juliana I need to allow these things to come into your life right now because you need to extract every root of bitterness any vestige of unforgiveness and the Lord allowed these things in her life to pull up some of these, to pull up this stone. Because she knew that if she harbored any bitterness, that would keep her from growing in intimacy with her Lord Jesus. And as I'm listening to some of these hard things that God asked her to do, she chose to be obedient. And God just began stripping her of every little thing that was standing in the way. And I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to allow God, even right now, to remove some of these rocks, to pull up roots and all some of these weeds that are keeping you from producing a hundredfold of fruit? Would you let him do that right now? Would you allow him, by the surveying of his Holy Spirit, to maybe show you some areas and for you to pray today right now the axe is laid to the root of this weed Jesus pull it right now I'm done will you stand with me Father, you are good. Your love is unfailing. And your mercies are new every morning. We need to hear from your spirit today, God. Father, if there is still selfish ambition, if we are dreaming dreams that have to do with our own personal greatness, would you ever so graciously remove us from the throne of our heart and would you be seated there, please? Would you show us that this life is completely about you and not me? I am your servant. What would you have me do? How might I sacrifice in response to your mercies to me? In view of the forgiveness of my sins and your great forgiveness, how may I live my life for you today? Father, I ask that as you continue this cultivating process in our lives. God, would you please open our eyes, speak tenderly to our hearts, and show us what these stones and these 
thorny weeds are that need to be extracted. God, help us. We, we, we fight in this process, and we don't want to, God. We are many times blinded to these things around us, and we don't want to, God. And I'm asking you, Father, please, may our hearts right now be submitted totally to you and graciously pull these things out of my life every single one of our lives our goal oh god is to produce a hundredfold of fruit that we would stand before you in that great day and that you would not just simply say uh, you you're, you're going to be getting one talent as a reward but i am giving you 10 that our rewards would be great not because of the great things that we have done, but simply because the great God has taken up residence in this vessel and that we have, by your grace, submitted to you and you have done great things. You have produced great things in us because this is your nature. God, give us that humble, teachable heart. Remove these things from our lives and may we produce fruit much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy your week. Look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow at the Rudder Circle Field. God bless you.